Well, that was quite a year. It might not have panned out as many of us would have expected, but one thing is for sure, our young people have shown themselves to adapt well to the changing circumstances and, in the overwhelming majority of cases, be really resilient to the setbacks that 18 months of pandemic have thrown them. In this episode, we're going to be looking back at some of the big questions that come up time and time again with reference to the previous episodes in this season. Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. Over the last nine months, we've followed six students as they headed towards their GCSEs in 2021. Each episode discussed some of the issues that came up. Now, they ranged from broad themes like motivation and managing mental health, all the way down to more focused ones, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. This week is the season two finale, and I'm going to be taking a look back over the last 41 episodes and answer some of the typical questions that we've had. The constant shadow of COVID, remote learning and bursting bubbles has created a turbulent 2020-2021 academic year for young people of all ages, of course. You may remember back in September, we weren't sure what was going to happen with schooling and exams. And back then I chatted with Natasha Devon and Dr Dom Thompson. At the end of the year, things may not be radically very different for our students. And that brings us to our first question. Hi, study buddy. I've got no idea what's going on with the marking this year. How do they know how I would have done in the exams? This is a really common question and certainly something that a lot of students are facing at the moment. It's an odd one for some because they think that exams are awful and and evil when they've got to do them. But when you take them away, it seems to be that they really wanted this opportunity to be able to prove themselves. Now, of course, exams couldn't really have taken place this year with the with the pandemic and social distancing. So back in January, of course, the government announced that they'd be cancelled. And then it took some while later for Ofqual and the exam boards to then determine what the new system would look like. You may remember, of course, that we talked to Simon Liebus and some of the chief execs from the exam boards over the last few episodes. And I think it was really clear that what they wanted to do was come up with a system that would best reflect how students had achieved. And in the question, actually, that's a really important distinction because it's not about how they would have fared in an exam. It was actually about the kind of level they were working to during the course of the last two or three years of their GCSE or A-level course. Now, that can be really difficult because the pandemic and remote learning has meant that actually not a lot of students will have covered all of the syllabus. And there's no set path through the syllabus either. So one school may have covered two topics in history that were completely different to the topics that another school had had covered, for example. And so that was a feature of, of this. It was about judging the students against the work that they could have done. And that's where the teacher assessed grades or tags came in. And that's the distinction from last year. Last year was centre assessed and it was looking at how a student may have fared if they sat the exam. And as I said, this year is very much about being able to evidence and prove what was going on. And so to the question, that's how they're going to sort the grades out this year. It's teachers looking at a range of evidence of making a judgment holistically of their experience and then determining those grades. Now, by this point, teachers should have already talked to the students about the kinds of evidence that they were using 
Many students actually will have felt a flurry of activity towards the end of year as some schools put in more tests or more assessments so they could really do the best that they could by their students. In compiling that evidence, teachers wouldn't have shared those grades with students. Now, many of us parents will have thought that we could second guess what a child was going to be getting because that would have been the grades that we'd have seen in reports and in talking to the teachers. But of course, one thing that's been really clear when talking to Simon Liebus and, and others is that teachers know their own students really, really well, of course, but they don't know how well they sit in relation to the national picture. So how one school compares to another. And that's then the role of the exam boards is going to be to try to make sure that there's a consistency across this grading. Much of this has come in the form of quality assurance. So a lot of time has been spent and a lot of hours spent by teachers and head teachers and senior leaders to come up with these processes to make sure that as far as is possible, they're all following the same kind of route to grading. And so what will happen now is that the centres will sort of rank them as far as they can, really, just to make sure that there are no anomalies. And then the grades will be handed out in exactly the same way as it has done for every year since GCSEs and A-levels have been about, with certificates handed out through the schools. Now, this year, the GCSE and A-level are a little bit earlier, 8th of August and 12th of August for A-levels and GCSEs, respectively. And that's to give a little bit of time if there are any appeals. Now, the appeals is a, is a really tricky one because, actually, how do you argue or appeal against a teacher judgment? I mean, that's a very, it's a very personal thing, you'd, you'd think. And we talked about this quite a lot with Philip Wright from the Joint Council for Qualifications and also with Simon Liebus and the chief execs. There are two stages to the appeals and more details have come out recently. But the first stage is that you think there was just an error in the grading. So if my child was always on track for seven or eight, but they ended up with a three or a four, it's likely that an error has happened. So in those situations, you go to the school, to the centre, and you say, I think there's been an error. The school will look back and they'll check. If they agree that there's been an error, they'll make a representation to the exam board to say, we made a mistake and here's the evidence and, and this is why that grade should be changed. The exam board will then look at it and presumably agree. The grade will be changed and, and everything will go on. If the school disagree and don't think that actually the grade does need to change, then there's still recourse. So as a student, you can then still ask the school to send that grade to the exam boards. And the exam boards will then review it and, and have a look whether or not the teachers have exercised their professional judgment correctly. And that's the weird bit, isn't it? Because, as I say, I mean, the teachers have known the students for two years. The entire purpose of the teacher-assessed grades as an alternative assessment to exams was that no one knows these students like teachers. So it's going to be really difficult, I think, to see how any appeals could really have legs and work on that basis. But it is there. And I definitely think that the big benefit of this year is that this appeals system is in place. Last year, of course, exams didn't take place and students had the algorithm and then teacher judgment. But whatever it was, 
there was no recourse. If you didn't agree, there was there was no process to follow. And we heard from Simon Liebus that there were comparatively very, very few appeals last year or discussions back to exam boards and Ofqual. This year is likely to be very much the same. I think as parents, we should be prepared for that. We want to be able to move on from this year and what's been unfortunate for many students like our questioner because they wouldn't have had prom in the same way that they would they've not had the same rites of passage and they may be feeling a bit more nervous about going into their next steps as well so I think a view of realism as the grades come in and then doing what's in the best interests of our child knowing that they can move on to their next steps is likely to be the most important thing. Now, for many, the uncertainty continues. So whether that's getting the results this year or starting to think about what's going to happen next year, there's still a lot of questions that are being asked, such as this one. Hi, study buddy. My son's taking nine GCSEs in 2021. Do you know if the exams are going ahead or if it will be teachers setting grades again? For those of us, myself included, who've got children who will be taking their exams next year, GCSE and A-level, this is obviously a big one. Because we started the year last year thinking that exams were going to go ahead and then it ended up not being the case come January. As we look forward, I suppose, looking forward might be a stretch, as we look towards the start of the next academic year for those students who are taking their GCSEs and A-levels in 2022, the plan is very definitely that exams will take place. Now, a lot of Commentators are saying that this year has shown that exams are the fairest way forward. Regardless of your point of view on exams, the government's position is very, very clear that exams will take place. We don't know what changes might be made yet. And certainly for me, I find that really, really frustrating because we know that the students that are taking their exams in 2022 have been affected by the pandemic in the same way that last year's students did. They've had Lots of interrupted schooling. There's been varying degrees of remote education going on. And so it's been it's been really tough for them. So also they wouldn't have covered all of the curriculum. And so the question obviously then comes back to, well, so what are you going to examine them on? Can you examine them on everything? Will there be changes to the kinds of topics that have to get included? We're aware by talking to Jill Duffy and to Colin Hughes and all of the other chief execs, that the entire system that sits behind exams are conscious of this and that they're thinking about what those changes are going to be. They're planning ahead. There was a definite focus on what should happen this year and making sure that 2021 ran smoothly, which makes sense. But now you really want these people to start really thinking about what's going to happen and what this is going to mean for the students of 2022. Unfortunately, though, there's still been no announcements, no decisions have, have come out. So we're left sort of guessing what might happen. And one of the best guesses, I guess, educated guesses, if you'll forgive the pun, is that the changes that we were expecting last year might take place for the 2022 exams. And so what that would mean is a reduced topic list in things like English literature. You may remember that for 2021, students wouldn't have to do, for example, their poetry selection. And so the safe bets, if you like, are those kinds of changes and accommodations might work their way into the 2022 series. But we don't know. And while we don't know, obviously schools and students need to prepare themselves as if no changes were taking place. 
And that's really, really hard going, I think, to know that this is on the horizon, to know that we've dealt with this before, because there has been a test case in 2021, and still not do anything about it, I don't think really is putting the students first in a way that all of the system, whether that was off call or the exam boards, have all said that, that students were at the forefront of their minds and well-being was key. I do think that there's been a bit of a miss across how exams are running this year for that not to be dealt with. So in answer to the question, we don't know. We do know that exams are planned and we can assume, I think fairly safely, that some accommodations will be made. Now, not knowing exactly how these exams are going to run is going to affect our young people in lots of different ways. And for some, it's going to be a source of fairly tremendous stress, I would have thought. But of course, in any normal year, some teens can be overzealous and really pile the pressure onto themselves. And so this brings us to our next question. Hi, study buddy. I have a question for you. My daughter is already really anxious about next year. And I'm just not sure how she's going to cope when it comes to, you know, the actual exams. How can I help her? As I said, this is not an uncommon question. And it does tend to be, although stereotypical, it does tend to be amongst girls, I think, that you see this a lot more, sort of really overzealous. And getting that balance wrong, for many parents, it can actually be the other way around. And that your child procrastinates a lot and it can feel like trudging through treacle to try to get them to do any work. But of course, for those who are adding on the stresses and really worried about how well they're going to achieve and, and trying everything that they can to achieve the best, this is a really, really, really awful time. One of the things that we heard from our very first episode of this series and actually the very first episode of season one as well when we were talking with Dom Thompson is this fear of failure and perfectionism as well and we see that a lot in these students who are overzealous that they really just don't know what would happen if they don't get these top grades and they really force themselves into changing the 97% to 98% and will will kick themselves for the for the one question that's gone wrong it's not uncommon, but actually that doesn't make it any better, does it? Especially when you're the one looking at your child who's locking themselves away and maybe starting to see those stresses and that pressure manifest itself in other ways as well, which is any parent's worst nightmare. Some of the things then that we can do or that we've heard about that we can do to try to help them is demonstrate that actually things don't always go well for everyone. And of course, our very first episode was called Life is Wiggly. And that was very much what Dr. Dominique was talking about, is that actually all of us as parents will have experienced twists and turns in our journeys. So talking about those kinds of things and the meeting at work that didn't go as expected, or the promotion that we didn't get, all of these kinds of things can help to normalise the fact that actually it's not all getting A stars all the way through. Sometimes it's about dealing with things when they go wrong and also showing that that's okay. It makes us who we are and it makes our children who they are too. And that goes hand in hand with this idea of perfectionism and competitiveness, as we heard before, that, that everything becomes a competition, whether it's taking the best photos or baking the best cakes. So for those students who do pile on the pressure in this way, actually trying to take some of that competitiveness out and doing things for fun 
can be a really good way of helping to redress that balance. Again, these aren't overnight cures, and I don't think that there is one. It's about chipping away and helping our children to see, I suppose, actually what alternatives there are. One of the best ways that we found of doing this is to help the students take control. And as I said, this definitely isn't silver bullet, but giving them a sense of ownership and giving them a way in which they can view what it is that they've done can help them to feel much more confident about where it is that they are and what it is that they need to do. A lot of the pressure comes from always thinking that you need to do more and need to do more. What we do is we break down the courses and that's definitely something that can be done and should be done at home is to sort of really identify you've got this, it's in hand, you're you're smashing it out of the park, you try really hard and try to bring some of that focus away from the results and the letters and numbers that will come at the end of a piece of work and much more into the effort and into the progress that's being made. That can also help then to identify balance. So one of the things that we do with our system is to map out the week and think about what's happening in the week ahead. And when we do this, it tended actually to start by helping the students who were procrastinating and those who didn't really want to get into studying. But it works beautifully for overzealous students as well. And so the system works by mapping out the week, the obligations, the things that you have to do. Now that might be school, it might be a part-time job, it might be any of these kinds of things. So what you're obligated goes in first. And then the next is the things that you like to do. So a lie-in on the Sunday, it might be someone's having a party on Friday night. All of these kinds of things can then work their way in. And then the blank periods can become the opportunity for a little bit of studying. For overzealous students, actually, this can then work the other way around because if that's being mapped out and it's being drawn on a timetable or whiteboard or, or however you choose to represent it, actually, as a parent, you've then got something you can talk about. You can talk to your son or daughter about the fact that they are just not taking enough breaks, that actually it's not in their best interest to work well into the midnight hours because they're just not going to be productive. And there's something you can talk about and you can point to. And that kind of fact-based conversation tends to be so much better than the emotional ones of, I think you are, or it worries me that. And treating the young people as more adult perhaps than we might have done in the past can really help them to feel the sense of ownership and to and to get control. All of this is really really tricky certainly when so much tends to ride on the results of exams and I think that's the dichotomy isn't it? You can't get away from the fact that for many the results of these exams whether they're GCSEs or A-levels will start to determine what our, our children can do next. And so often, understandably, we parents are unsure about when we should be encouraging our children to start, such as this very popular question that we get. Hi, study buddy. My daughter's got her GCSEs next year, so should she be studying over the summer holiday, do you think? This is a great question, and it's one that we hear an awful lot, and not just in COVID times, and in any normal time. And I think probably since the dawn of time, parents have been wondering whether or not their students should be studying. 
it is a bit exaggerated, I think, this year because of the fact that COVID has interrupted the learning. And so we're hearing a lot more parents who are concerned that their children should maybe be doing some catch-up work. And, of course, there was talk about tutoring and summer schools and all of these kinds of things to help bring the children back to the level that they might have been had schools not been interrupted. But I think, and this is going to seem odd as someone who founded a company to help with revision, I think actually there's a real issue here about balance. And Jill Duffy talked about it beautifully and that it's not so much about the lost learning as it is also about the lost social connections that our children have had during this time. So there is on the one hand a need to to sort of keep going to maybe start plugging the gaps if you've been advised to by teachers, but not at the expense of actually going out there and reconnecting with friends and just sort of enjoying as much of the summer as Mother Nature will allow us to have. The answer to the overall question is going to vary by student very much. There will be those who actually don't want to switch off and actually not doing anything might become a cause for concern for them, which relates very much back to the previous question that we had. And in those situations, factoring in a little bit and doing a little bit is is probably wise. For others, of course, it's probably to do something that's much more light touch, some low stakes work. Mark Enser in the last episode, actually, on motivation, he talked about reading around a subject and maybe not necessarily doing the schoolwork. As I said, it's kind of varied by child. And I think, as is always the case, though, the summer holidays, it's a really long time to be off. And it can be difficult to then get re-motivated come September. And also there are people who would talk about the fact that you can sort of lose learning over, over such a long period of time as well. But as I said, I think as parents, we need to find a way of balancing that or helping our students to balance that between just keeping going so that it's not like a shock to the system when September comes, but also to help them to enjoy their childhood. I mean, this is what it's all about. And I think it's important as well that it's not just about exams. It's not just about sort of this factory of turning up to school to, to get the grades to move on to the next thing. It's a purpose for living, isn't it? Isn't that where we should really be encouraging our children to get to? And also, I mean, that helps them to start thinking about the importance of their own mental well-being as well. That said, for those students and parents who do think actually that they want to carry on doing something over the course of the summer, far and away the best thing to do is make sure that you talk to your teachers about the kinds of study that they might be doing and the kinds of activities that they might be doing. While this won't be related necessarily to what happens in the exams, because as we said before, we don't know what changes might be made, there will be a pattern and a path. And I think it can become quite dangerous for students to go off and learn their own things if that's misdirected or they learn in the wrong way. There are some fantastic resources out there that can help to plug gaps and also to help strengthen some of those areas that perhaps students feel that they might be a little bit weaker in. And maybe this is the better thing to do rather than try to cover topics that haven't yet been taught. Again, as with everything, my advice always comes down to making a plan. So if you know what's got to be done, get it written down. These can be tick lists, post-it notes, however you want to do it, because then you can make sure 
that there is still this balance, which I think is so important, that they're getting the right stuff done and they're also making sure that they make time for themselves. As I said, that's key. So when our little angels do sit down to do some work, can we really be sure that they're working productively? And this is one of my favourite questions that we get. In fact, actually, it was one of the questions I would shout at the moon when my own son was doing his GCSEs a couple of years ago. Hi, I had a question to do with my son's revision methods. He doesn't take any notes. Should I be worried? As I said, I can relate to this question so easily, having been through this with Jake, that this idea that osmosis was just going to, to work for him, just being near an open book was going to be enough. Worried, though, might be a bit strong, but I'd definitely advise to be vigilant and to keep an eye on what's going on. Because what we do know is that you can't just absorb information. However, more and more schoolwork and activity is taking place online. Over the pandemic, many students will have been using things like Google Classrooms and, and OneNote. So actually, notes don't appear in the same way that they might have done for our generation when we were at school. And so not having reams of papers and A4 folders and all of these kinds of things actually might not be a sign that they're not working. However, as I said before, we also do know that you can't just watch YouTube or pull out a highlighter and expect this to work. And actually, the last series, I think, has been packed with some really incredible experts and speakers on this. So we talked first, of course, to Dylan William. We've heard from Kate Jones, Patrice Bain, Zoe Enser, Adam Boxer, Nimish Ladd, just to, to mention a few, all looking at these different aspects of cognitive science and retrieval practice and generative learning. And if this episode is your first in your introduction to the Study Sessions podcast, I absolutely would encourage you to go back and, and dig those ones out, the ones that look specifically at, at the cognitive sciences. Because as a parent, I just find it such an eye-opener that these kinds of things weren't taught to us at school. I just don't even think it was a, a thing that teachers were aware of back then. Now, of course, so much more is learnt, and there are some incredible teachers doing some great work in how to apply this abstract thinking to classrooms. And I think it's still yet to filter out to us parents. And so this is one way in which I hope you'll agree you can sort of delve a bit deeper into how it all works. Thinking about the notes, of course, only two episodes ago, we talked to Oliver Caviglioli on note taking and note making. And I hope you agree, that was a fantastic episode, definitely up there amongst my favourites. And it's such an interesting chap, and also the way he talked about how you could apply these cognitive sciences to sort of real world, if you like. Part of his whole note-taking thing was this ability to distill and really get something down into a presse and capture the essence of an idea. He talked about the boxes with the witches in one box and Arrow to Macbeth. And then you can use that as a way of explaining afterwards. These kinds of markings of word diagrams are a really, really useful way of trying to help condense and formulate our ideas. And they're the kinds of things that while they can be done online, they can also be done by writing. And I'm a bit old fashioned like that. I do encourage my daughter who will be doing her GCSEs next year to actually sort of grab a Sharpie and some paper and, and 
get this stuff down in whatever form that she thinks it will be. And it can help. And one of the things actually that Oliver talked about, of course, was the whole senses learning and that by using your hand to write notes can actually involve more ways in which your working memory can help process this knowledge. And that also then can help with retrieval because that's an easier way in which we parents can then get involved. Because if flashcards have been made, we can just ask really simple questions like, what does this mean? Or what is the impact of the witches on Macbeth, for example? And we don't need to be subject matter experts. We can just get involved. And I like that. And actually, it's something that we do increasingly, actually, since we've started using many more flashcards with question or a phrase or a formula on one side and then the answer on the back. That actually, while I'm making dinner or over lunch, and certainly we might do this on car journeys, obviously not while I'm driving, and we can then just sort of fire some of these off to M. Now, she doesn't always like it, and sometimes she just wants to be plugged in, and that's absolutely fine. It's not a high-pressured thing. It's just about sort of helping that to tick over. And some of this is a bit interleaving, where we mix the subjects up, you'll remember, and spacing as well, because some of these cards she will have dealt with maybe in an early physics lesson back in October. And so it all helps just to keep things ticking over a little bit and keeps it really low stakes. It's not for anything. We don't try to encourage her by bribing her to do it. It's just sort of a habit that we get into. And a lot of the habit forming, I think, is really important as well. So if you're still thinking about the revision and thinking about the note-taking and how all of that could happen, then, as I say, I would absolutely encourage you to go back and listen to the episodes with Kate Jones and Patrice Bain, Adam Boxer. These were really, really incredible episodes. And I think just opened opened my eyes to so much that I just didn't understand about how we learn. And that's, I think, a really important aspect. It goes beyond these exams. It's, It's sort of a life skill learning how we learn, metacognition being the fancy term that the experts were using. But of course, it is worth remembering that the terminal exams are a feature of school life. And for some, that's going to start quite quickly as we go into the new year. Hi, study buddy. My school is having the exams as soon as we go back in September. Is that fair? It seems completely right that we should have a question from a teen and asking whether something's fair. I think... It's difficult to talk about whether or not that's it's fair that some students will go back to exams or not. It is certainly unusual. I think a lot of schools have placed, quite rightly, a lot of attention on well-being and don't want the children to have time off over the summer worrying about the fact that they might come back straight away to an exam. Certainly with this year, the idea of an in-school exam has ramped up significantly. And it used to be, certainly with Jake, that uh, it's only a mock, it doesn't really matter. Whereas now I think in the back of students' heads, certainly, there's always going to be this sort of nagging doubt, but could this be what my grades will be determined by? Uh, Of course, as I said earlier, there's no suggestion that we're going to be using teacher assessed grades next year. Everyone's gearing towards exams. But you can't help but wonder if there were another spike, if schools were to lock down, 
if exams weren't able to take place for one reason or another, all of a sudden, everything that's assessed in the schools could become that much more important to a student. So I do think that it's actually, as I say, perhaps not ideal. I wouldn't want it for my own children. But there may well be very good reasons why the school are doing that. And I think it's important to find out why, if your school is running an exam as early as September, why that would be the case. Now, some obvious reasons might be they want to baseline where students are so that they know what areas to focus on over the coming year. That's a, a way of reflecting back on the lost learning, in inverted commas, that may have happened and also start to plug some of those gaps. But I do think it's important that whatever the reason for those exams, you don't let it affect your plans for the summer as students. Because as we've said before, and feeling like I might be laboring the point, actually life is for living. So the exams are going to be an important measure of something for some reason, but you've still got plenty of time. There's time for the schools to determine which areas need to be worked on and time for you to be prepared and feel confident that you've covered the topics that you need to cover and still enjoy what little of the sunshine we Brits may find over the course of this summer. I hope you can relate to some of the questions that we've had. I mean, there were six there, so a small selection of the kind that we get, but they are common ones. And I think that certainly as a parent, although our children are older now, obviously, so we don't do as much of the playground chatting, what you do find when you talk to more than two other parents is that you'll have more than two different ideas about what is right or what's going to happen. So I do think that it's really important overall to just sort of go with your gut. You know your child better than anyone else does. And we've heard that time and time again over a number of the different episodes. And also, I'm reminded of the episode that we had with Sam Twizzleton, where she reminded us that we were the ones who were teaching our children to do so much early on. We taught them to talk. We taught them how to walk. I mean, we did all of these things and we didn't question whether or not we were qualified to do it. It's just part of our job. And we almost instinctively, I guess, knew how to work with our children. And I think to an extent, the same still applies. We will know whether or not our children are just being lazy or we'll know whether or not our children really need to take a break. And so I think we should use that and help to shape what it is that they're doing over the course of this summer, but then also beyond. There are some useful tips and some really great knowledge that we can apply that can help them to reach their potential. And that's what we all want, isn't it? Whether you would consider that you're a pushy parent or not, we want to help our children to be the best version of themselves. And so that's why we do this. That's why we listen to podcasts about studying and revising. Over the course of the last 41 episodes and the 17, I think it was, in season one, we have covered an awful lot of topics. And I, I hope you'll agree that they've all been really, really interesting. Some will apply more to you than others and to your child. But actually, on the whole, each one, I, I hope, has given a nugget, a little gem that you can go away with. And for me, one of the ones really to look out for was Nimish Lad. And that was the episode where we looked at Marge not so long ago. Marge, of course, being the acronym that looked about how learning happens. And I think as a parent, that really helped me to get a framework 
for how best I can encourage and support my child. And as I said, with that comes some of the other episodes that we've done on retrieval practice, note making and word diagrams and motivation. As I say, I think some fantastic speakers, some fantastic guests. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you found this whole second season useful, informative and interesting as well. As I said, I have definitely felt like I've learned loads. If you have enjoyed it, I wonder if you'd take a moment just to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review too in my customary sign-off because it really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes on social media is always very much appreciated. Now, while this is the last episode of season two, don't forget to subscribe and follow because that's the way you can make sure you won't miss out on season three of the Study Sessions podcast, which has been brought to you by The Study Buddy.